It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Hey, hey, movie maniacs, my name is Sky, and I'm here with my brother, Dusty. Dust, do you have any rum in hand for this episode? Oh, man, I really, I really should. I like, now let me ask you, do you like the lighter, like, or the clear rum, or do you like the darker rum better? Dark rum for sure, and right now I'm drinking the Captain Morgan Private Stock, some of the best rum I've ever had. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for the darker rum. I like it. You turned me on to rum and Coke, and at first I was like, yeah, I don't really care to have it. Then I tried, I was like... That just makes it a little extra sweet, gives a little extra juice in it, and yeah, I, uh, rum and Cokes are nice. Yeah, for sure. Do you think Jack Sparrow would have been a rum Coke man, or do you think he's just straight up uh, rum neat every time? I think uh, he's going to get it in an IV and hook it to his veins. Yep, if he had the option, huh? Oh, absolutely, right in there. Yeah, oh, sounds like the life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is it, so rum's made out of sugar, sugar cane, right? Yep, that's right. Uh, at least traditionally, maybe they make rum out of other stuff now, but everything that I've ever had is a uh, sugar cane. But have you ever had, they have some rums that are like really flowery and it's like drinking potpourri. Have you ever had that? Oh, goodness, no. Yeah, I it's terrible. <laughs> well, I, I'm not a big drinker anyway, so uh, trying something that is a, out of my wheelhouse is kind of like, ah, I'll pass on that. But um, Yeah, no. potpourri belongs in one place, the bathroom only, right above the <laughs> toilet. That's it. Exactly. Cool. So speaking of rum, of of course, you know, Jack Sparrow Pirates, they love the rum. And I love this movie. It is still so good. So much fun to watch. 2003. Love the swashbuckling. Great story behind it, too. And I really like how it was the start to an awesome trilogy. You know, the, the later movies, four and five, yeah, they were okay. But these first three really enjoyed. And I had a lot of fun rewatching this movie with the family the other day. Yeah, same here. Actually, my kids got scared because, you know, they, you get uh, guys that literally turn into Walking Dead people and stuff like that. So they got scared. But I really enjoyed the first time I watched it. I, I thought it was brilliant. And obviously watching it again and again, it's just it's really great storytelling. And I love, 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 love the thought of putting treasure back. Like that's that is just really, really creative, good storytelling and just a fun story. Like I did not see that coming. Like, hey, we're on a, us pirates. We're trying to put treasure back. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. It is, without a doubt, really nice bit of storytelling there. And one of the things that this movie does great is it gives you some really cool characters that, like, Barbosa's the bad guy, but you love seeing him on screen, you know? It gives you some really funny, comedic, the fat and, and skinny bad guy. But then you got some pretty cool good guys, you know? Um, you know, everybody loves Kira Knightley, of course, but then you also have Orlando Bloom, his character, and then the number one character. When he first came out, I bet you this was the number one uh, Halloween costume that year, you know, Jack Sparrow. Absolutely. Now, do you remember why Jack Sparrow's character or the way Johnny Depp played him, why he he kind of made him this quirky, not quir quirky is not the, but like just the, almost a dr everyday drunk uh, type of person and the personality. Do you know how and why um, Johnny Depp played him like that? I think I used to remember, but I can't recall. What was it? So if I remember, well, as I remember it, it was not Mick Jagger, but the Rolling Stones has a guitar player. Uh, shoot, I can't remember his name, but he's the other, like other, you have Mick Jagger and then um, you have um, 
the other guy, whoever the other guy is. And that he is really more out there, like always on drugs type of personality, just like Jack Sparrow. And Johnny Depp wanted to play him like that, which is a totally different spin on a pirate should be like hardcore, you know, uh, somebody that would just kill you at the drop of a hat with like Jack Sparrow. Like Barbosa. Yeah, like Barbosa, where you have Jack Sparrow is totally different, but we find out um, in later movies how he became a captain and everything. So it's pretty interesting. I just, I really like, and everybody really enjoyed um, Johnny Depp's character or the way he played the character of Jack Sparrow. I don't remember if it was necessarily going into that. It was like, okay, uh, Johnny, you need to play him this way. I think he just brought that aspect to the uh, character and it really made just it's a whole nother um aspect of the movie that would not normally be there yeah yeah and uh what you were saying i I googled it while you were talking keith richards is the rolling stones guitarist there you go yeah keith richard oh yeah and i think in part four or five i can't remember which one it was but keith richards was was actually in the movie um as his dad part three was that what it was? Okay, yeah. Uh, at World's End, so we'll we'll be discussing him for sure when we cover that movie. Two movies from now, you know. Yeah, and you know what I love is occasionally, and I'm sure Disney pays um, Johnny Depp to do this, but occasionally uh, Johnny Depp will dress up as Jack Sparrow and go into Disneyland, whichever one, you know, and, and actually go through the Pirates of the Caribbean and start singing or do fun things like that. I'm like, I, whenever they're going to put out a new, sorry, whenever they put out a new Pirates of the Caribbean, that's when they do some celebrity type stunts like that, which, you know, draws more attention to it. But yeah, I really like the character of Jack Sparrow. Man, what a great story to tell if you were at Disneyland that day and out of nowhere, Johnny Depp, Jack Sparrow comes out. You have a story to tell for the rest of your life, man. Absolutely. Hey, you know what happened? Man? You know, you get your phone out, start recording him while he's singing. And yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so getting to the movie itself. Um, when I went into the movie, obviously we all grew up going to the Pirates of Caribbean. In fact, I remember that being our mom's number one ride to go on. She absolutely loved it. We loved going on it. And I remember taking my kids to go on Pirates of the Caribbean and everything. And so just creating a story out of a ride is super amazing to see that they actually, you know, the writers pulled it off really, really well. Oh, for sure they did. And they pulled out uh, like visual, not visual, I mean, specific images from the ride are taken and put directly into the movie. And I think they put them directly into all three movies, but at least this one and the next one they do. Pretty cool how like, you know, you see the whole the whole scene when they're running around um, Tortuga, right? And it's like, it's like, you know, the pirates are pillaging and you see some of the exact same scenes, some of the kinds of characters, you know, replayed out there. It's just, it's just pretty cool seeing uh, how they did, like you said, pull the ride or build an entire movie from a ride. And who would have thought that ahead of time they could? I mean, can you believe they made such a killer movie like Battleship from that game? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see Battleship? No, I didn't. I, I, did couldn't you pull my, I couldn't convince myself to go see that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, it has Rihanna in it. So, I mean, that's maybe worth watching. But no, other than that, no reason to watch that movie. No, no. But um, yeah, when it came out, I mean... Disney put a lot of marketing. I remember when it came out, like it was really anticipated and it was, it just seemed like it was going to be a big box office hit, which obviously it was. And so with all that marketing behind it, it really helped it to obviously having a good story, number one, but getting more people to go see it. Number two is because of the marketing, you know, something like Battleship or, you know, all the other ones that don't really do as well. Um, I don't really remember them because the marketing wasn't even there, but you got to dump a ton of money into marketing in order to get so many people to go watch it. 
For sure, man. I think uh, you can imagine when they saw this movie in the editing process, you know, the Disney execs, they probably jumped up and said, this is going to be a crazy movie. Let's put our money behind it, as opposed to like the other ones. When you watch those on the cutting room, you know, in the the editing process and as the filming, you probably get a sense that this is not going to be the greatest of movies. But um, Pirates of the Caribbean, a different story. And you know what I found interesting was leading up to this, everybody knew who Johnny Depp was. People grew up in the 80s, saw 21 Jump Street and that kind of a thing. And we've seen him in a lot of Tim Burton movies over the years and stuff but this movie blew him up just kind of like Iron Man did for um, Robert Downey Jr. or Pulp Fiction did for Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta you know sometimes the right actor gets cast in the right role in the right movie and they skyrocket from there I, I definitely agree. And, you know, Johnny Depp was more like, it was 92, no, 21 Jump Street. That's what it was. Um, you know, he, I never really watched 21 Jump Street and Johnny Depp was more of like a ladies, like, you know, ladies would like to watch him. I didn't really care one bit, um, in anything that he played in, but then he played in this. It was totally different. So I like, I wouldn't say I like Johnny Depp at all, but I like the way he played this character. He did a, amazing job did he win any awards do you know i don't even remember but it seemed like he should have done so want something for his rendition of jack sparrow yeah no idea um let me see here i'm looking oh johnny depp the screen actors guild for outstanding a uh, performance by a male actor in a leading role but no um and some golden globe type stuff but no oscars okay that's that that's totally fine i mean he just he i wouldn't say he totally makes the movie because the story adds so much and seeing the bad guys walk under the water you know oh, yeah. to, you know things like that is just so that everything really brought everything together and johnny depp's character and the way he played him really helped you know added a lot to it it's, it's a really fun fun movie to watch obviously it can get a little scary like my kids you know a six eight nine and ten you know they they I try to have them watch some scary movies, but they just get scared. So I just, I don't force them. So they get, got through maybe half of it. And it's probably about the time that, um, they were at the treasure chest and Jack Sparrow pulls out one of the coins is like, okay, they're like, they're just too many scary bad guys. So they just like, okay, we're leaving. Yeah, I gotcha. I can see that. But yeah, when they get a little bit older, for sure. Even the oldest one, Ellie, was a little scared. Ellie's the most scared out of everybody oh, for every geez. single movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Oh, well, you know, it's just the way it is. I don't, I don't force, you know, I want to say, I don't, nobody should, and nobody does, I don't think, force their kids to watch scary movies, but it's like, I don't like pick on them or say, why don't you do this? I say, I don't think it's that scary, but if you guys don't want to watch it, there's the other room. And then they'd rather watch TV than not. So they're like, oh, I want to watch, can we watch something else? I'm like, no, go to your room and read a book. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, when we were their age, I know our parents, uh, neither of them were into scary movies at all. We learned or we gained our, at least as kids, our love of scary movies by going over and spending the night at friends' houses. You know, Billy in particular, we would watch tons (laughs) of scary movies with him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. His parents didn't care one lick. And so we were watching some, like, uh, I remember, was it, um, what's that first zombie movie? What was it called? Night of the Dead or? Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. That was, that freaked me out. I was probably like six or seven. Or maybe younger. That freaked me out. Yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah. For a little kid, for sure. But that just, that, uh, you started to get acclimated to it, you know, and eventually we would oh, watch yeah. all these movies. We would be scared at that age still, but kind of like getting used to it and then enjoying the scariness of it kept us watching those movies. We didn't shy away. We didn't run into the other room, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I was looking at the 
Total. And I, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I love, um, uh, capitalism. I, lo- I love making money, serving people. And what you do with a movie is you serve people. Like if you put out a crappy product, nobody's going to buy it. They're not going to go watch it. And so I always like to look at how much a movie makes. And so I'm looking at this one. The budget for estimated for the budget was um, $140 million. I don't think that includes marketing, which marketing, they probably they get almost to, a, a, you know, at least $100 million or something like that. They, they totally spend Buco's bucks on marketing. But the opening weekend in um, the U.S. was $46 million and gross U.S. is $305 million. But cumulative gross worldwide is $6.54 uh, million. Sorry, not million. Yeah, six, six, $654 million cumulative gross wide for just this one movie, not you know part two and part three. So it, de- it definitely got their money back. No, without a doubt. And that doesn't uh, take into account merchandise, as, as oh you my. know, um, uh, Mel Brooks said, merchandising, that's the, <laughs> Merch- the real, the, where the real money's made, you know? Absolutely. And you know, everything in Disney is all about merchandising. Like, absolutely. You go anywhere in Disneyland, that's all you see is things you can buy or rides you can ride on. And yep. so everything is all about that. So merchandising, merchandising, yep. You know, the last time when we we took the boys to Walt Disney World, uh, like last year, uh, or maybe it was earlier this year, April actually is when it was. And uh, you know how the Pirates of the Caribbean, or after every ride, they have a little shop with the with the toys and trinkets and stuff related to the ride. When we were growing up, they always sold little um, uh, cap guns. You know what I mean? Like oh, you yeah. pull the trigger trigger back, you put the cap in, and bam, shoot it. They don't have those anymore, and I huh. guess the reason why is because gun, whatever. You know, oh. the, all the gun stuff going on in the U.S. right now. Disney decided, you know, everybody's against guns. Let's just not keep them on in stock anymore. That's just too bad. It is because Mason really wanted one. And we were outside of Disney World. We were uh, like at, at a, a touristy kind of place. And in the shop there, they had some cool cap guns. And Mason said, I want one. I want one. I said, no, nah, it's okay. Wait till we go to Disneyland tomorrow and go on the ride. And then we'll buy a gun from there because they've always had guns. And then, bummer, he got disappointed. They were out of guns. That's too bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like buying. Like, actually, I bought my uh, eight-year-old. He's now eight. Xander's eight. I bought him a. It's a BB pistol, and you put one of those cartridges, like CO two cartridges, in it, and you um, pull the slide back, and the BB goes into the pistol, and you can just semi-auto just pull the trigger once, bullet come or a BB comes out, pull the trigger again, and it flies really. Good. I mean, it flies really well. So I'm definitely into getting my kids understanding the safety about firearms, the responsibility that comes with them and all that good stuff, because I want my kids to know what firearms are like and to, if they ever go to a friend's house and one of them pulls out their dad's gun, I want my kids to say, that's bad. I'm leaving right now. Rather than, ooh, let me go look at that. I see that on movies. No, they're going to say, no, I, my dad shows me and we shoot guns all the time. That's bad. I don't want to get killed. Let's let's get out. So that's what I want to do with my kids. Totally, man. Those experiences that you're giving them um, have opened their eyes to the dangers of guns for sure. Yeah. One thing I did was when they were, I don't know, five or six, um, I wanted them to understand what guns are. So I took the shotgun. We were out in the uh, uh, mountains. I took a shotgun with a big old, or it's basically a, um, a milk carton. So one gallon of milk, filled it with um, did I put water in there or anyways, I think it was probably water. I filled it up with water, set it out there and took my shotgun and blew it up. So you can number one, feel the power and, and see it 
and exploding. Plus, you also hear it. Like, it's not just like on the movie. It's like, bang, bang, bang. No, it's, it's, it's explosive and it can destroy things. So that's what I did for my kids. They saw that like, wow, that's, that's very dangerous. <laughs> like we could kill somebody. So we should not play with them. So absolutely. We did something that I have, um, really shown, um, I guess respect for firearms and they completely understand that now. Yeah, it's it's a good idea to do that for sure. And I remember when we went camping once, our families, your family, my family, um, and then uh, you know, we had the guns up there too. Uh my my shotgun as well as your shotguns and handguns and and the kids got to fire a couple of the like the twenty two caliber ones. That was fun as well and very informational or educational, I mean to say. Yeah, and you know what's fun at the same time funny, not more fun, but funny at the same time, you know, when they're kind of like, Ooh, let me see that. But after I don't know, ten shots, they're like I'm bored now. Yeah, they like, were, huh? <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, good. That's what I want. Like, I don't want you to be excited. Like if somebody, your friend pulls out a gun, I want you to be think, ah, that's old stuff. My dad does it with me all the time and, and then wants to get out. Totally. Totally, man. So uh, let's get back to the movie okay, earlier. Let's get back to the movie. You had mentioned about, you know, um, the the pirates, evil pirates turning into to skeletons and stuff. And I have to say that looked incredible. And I'm still watching it nowadays. And it still looks really good. I mean, I, I really think CG characters like this, they look best at night under moonlight. That's when they can get the coloring right. If you see CG in the sun, they often screw that up. It looks fake. But at night is perfect. And just about the entire movie, the skeletons were at night and they looked pretty photorealistic, I would say. Yeah, they did a really, really good job. And I remember seeing the clouds go over. You could see when the sun or sorry, the moon actually hits them. You can see who they really are and all that stuff. It, like Just the changing between the two. Really, really creative. And they did a really good job, especially when you see Barbosa and you see, you know, the way he looks and the way he normally would be. And I love the one scene where. It was actually towards the very end where um, he the, the bomb guy. You remember the like the little little bomb guy that runs around throwing bombs uh-huh. everywhere. Yeah, so uh, one of them, I think it was Jack or somebody, maybe maybe um, uh, Will. I think it was it Will. His, uh, if yeah, I yeah, think it was shoves Will. it in his stomach and then puts him out, pushes him out of the uh, the light so it would be covered up and then explodes inside. And I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, things like that, like going back and forth because you can see what they truly are and you can see how they hide. And yeah, it was really good CG. Oh, for sure it wasn't. Speaking of that scene you just now mentioned, uh, there's a ton of swashbuckling sword fighting throughout the movie. Now, let me ask you a question for reals. If you had two people who were skilled at fighting with swords and they were swashbuckling like in that scene jack and barbosa were going back and forth for like three minutes even though you know they both took the coin so they couldn't die they were constantly going back and forth nobody was getting a hand lopped off or a head lopped off how long for real two skilled swordsmen how long do you think they would actually battle for two or three oh. minutes or like 10 seconds one of them well, would get if a, I learned a swipe in right the away princess, yeah if i learned anything from the princess bride it could be a very long time it could be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, if it was real, I mean, I don't like, I don't doubt, like, thinking about the samurai period back in Japan where samurais had swords and that's how they protected people and stuff like that. I bet swords, um, fighting with swords, just like firearms, last maybe, well, firearms, you kind of get away and you can kind of hide and shoot at each other. But, you know, you're one on one with a sword. I really think it's going to take maybe a minute. Like, it's going to be very, Maximum, very fast. Huh? I think. Because yeah. you can't, you can't stop. You have to keep going, and the reason why is because the person's coming at you. You don't know when they're going to stop. You have to keep going at them in order to stay alive. And so, I really think maybe a minute to two minutes at most 
not running around, do, you know, flipping and all that sort of stuff, but you're just trying to kill the other person. Yeah, totally. I agree with you that, you know, one movie cliche, um, uh, and I don't know exactly what you call this cliche, but you see in a lot of movies, this movie has a lot of non-pirates. They out-pirate the pirates, right? So, like, in a movie when somebody's not a police officer, they tell the police officer what to do, and they succeed, or the guy just has no experience in space, and he pulls off drilling and inserting a nuclear bomb in space, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Astronauts, or non-astronauts, out-astronauting the astronauts. Well, in this movie, Will Turner, he helps them defend the ship by telling them to put everything into the barrels and firing anyway. Swan, Elizabeth Swan, tells them to drop the starboard anchor to help them turn the ship quickly to surprise the other ship. I mean, these are non-pirates out-pirating the pirates. What do you think of that? That is a good twist. I didn't think about that, but that does make you think like it, it helps a new dynamic to the story, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you would think like, how would somebody really think like that? So storytelling wise, it's good because it gives you a twist. But at the same time, you would think pirates would have, um, I guess, you know, other different ways to get around things they have experienced some things in the past they can think of uh, you know outside the box but apparently if you're not a pirate you can think outside the box even better yeah i guess so i mean your life is on the line you're you're, uh you're not just cowering quaking in a corner you know you're telling the pirates what to do but i think the reason why they do this in the movies is so that you give your main characters like a reason for being there you know they're actually propelling the story propelling the action and propelling the solution that that they end up finding in the end you know Yeah. So in the beginning where Jack Sparrow actually meets Will from the very beginning, Will Turner, inside of his, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, blacksmith, blacksmith shop, I think that was a fun, a fun way of introducing the characters together and seeing them fight together. And you kind of see that Jack Sparrow isn't the best (laughs) swordsman. Like it just, it comes out that uh, Will is definitely a better swordsman than him, but he's clever. Jack Sparrow is, that's what he really has going on for him is he's very clever. So what do you think about that that interplay between the two different characters? I absolutely loved it. I, I loved everything that led up to that too, because we get to see what Jack Sparrow is really like. He's coming in, his ship is sinking on the way into port. So he's like a down and out pirate, you know, but he's obviously a captain. And like you said, he is super conniving and tricky. Well, you didn't say the word conniving, but he is, you know, clever and conniving and tricky and stuff. And he tricks those guards on the pier and he saves Elizabeth Swan, so he's capable of doing the right thing. But at the same time, he's still a pirate. He wants to steal the ship. So leading up to it, we get a good idea of what he's like. We also get to see Will Turner delivering the sword to uh, Commodore Norrington. And, and we get to see what kind of person he is. And then it's pretty cool. Like most of these movies, like last week we talked about um, Hobbs and Shaw. It's cool when you see these two characters with totally different viewpoints. They do things differently coming together and how they interplay and bounce off of each other. You know, and like during this entire sword fight scene, I, I, I really like how you pointed out how uh, it was just really fun watching them, you know? Yeah. And then taking it, to other like uh Johnny Depp's character well uh Jack Sparrow and Kira Knightley uh what was uh Elizabeth so what was interesting and I I remember watching something it might have been a commentary or something but Johnny Depp felt really really weird um at the island where they're you know she's burning all the rum and they're kind of getting they're, the the characters are getting drunk and everything it's and so he just felt like he was a pervert because she just turned 18 like I don't know, a week or two before. So in real life, she was only 18? Something like that, 17 or 18. And he was, I don't know, 40, 35, 40, something like that. Like, uh, and so he just was like, I just didn't feel, I felt awkward. Like I had to do the movie, but I just didn't feel right with her being so young. 
Ah, I had no idea, man. I would have just assumed at the time she was in her 20s. Oh, yeah. No, I think she was literally just turning 18 or was like late 17, early 18, something like that. Awesome. So let me ask you, what do you think about Orlando Bloom? And this guy was definitely a heartthrob when this movie came out, especially when you have Lord of the Rings being Legolas, the super awesome elf. Where's he been? Where's Legolas been for a long time? Yeah, he's, you know, he does small roles and this and that. I guess he's in a new Amazon show, I think, called Carnival, I saw. Just a movie poster of it. But um, besides that, he's kind of, I think, just taking a back seat, man. Um, my guess is he's probably pretty wealthy by now with all these appearances and these awesome trilogies, making a lot of, you know, monthly checks, royalties and stuff, and probably no big need to work. And he's probably just having fun with his life. Oh, probably. Yeah, he. I mean, he's a good actor. I definitely think he's he's got definitely has a lot of talent, and he's done a good job with the the roles that he's played. And Legolas, he was terrific as Legolas in there. So it's just it was interesting. You haven't seen him. I thought he was going to be like taking off and do even more um, movies. But I, you know, when you have Johnny Depp in this movie, even though. Um, I think Orlando Bloom did a good job. Johnny Depp just blew him out of the water acting wise. Like you could just tell the difference in acting talent. At least I could. Yeah, oh, 100%. I agree with you there. Um, but maybe, I, I think Orlando Bloom does definitely have, I uh, he, he has good acting chops, like you said, but I think it's the eccentricity of Jack Sparrow. He's going to outshine anybody he's next to, is my guess, because of how eccentric that character is. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that one. So the, the main character is the one that I didn't, oh, uh, what I'm thinking of that just struck me that I didn't realize who was in, that she was in the movie until I watch it again because now she's obviously in Guardians of the Galaxy and other uh, End Game and all that stuff. But Zoe Saldana, her being inside of this movie, oh hey, look, it's it's a uh, Gamora. Yep, a tiny role. I mean, she's been in some big stuff since then. This is just one of her first little small roles that she was probably super stoked and super excited to get at the time. You know? Yeah, I so. If you remember going back through the ride, not the movie, but think about just the ride first, is there one part or one like scene, animatronic scene that sticks out in your mind? Which one sticks out in your mind the most? I'm not like trying to trick you or, you know, it's just I want to know which one's your most iconic uh, memory from the ride. Probably the guy getting dunked and then coming up and spitting out water. Got it. That that was the Tortuga um, scene. And we know that when... um, uh, since we've already seen part two, part two, that's that one. They definitely show that in part two, which is really fun. I like how they do that. And in the first one, you know, when you're at the very beginning, um, uh, curse of the black pearl, you see that the, the Jack Sparrow's inside the, the jail with the other guys and the guys, this is the one I always remember is the dog with the key and the guys with the bone and trying to get him to come over. I thought that was awesome. That was like right at the, almost the very beginning of the movie. That whole scene, you know, making you think back to the ride was super cool to see that. Yeah, you're probably right. That is from the movie, probably the most iconic thing from the ride, I would guess, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I always, even with before the movie, I always remember that scene. When I think of Pirates of the Caribbean, I always thought of that dog holding the key. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, one other thing, too, is isn't in the ride, don't you at one time see... Um, a pirate drinking wine and it's just going down through his skeletal body? Yes, you do. Yeah, you see that in, in this movie as well. That might be the, the second most mm, iconic thing that I remember from the ride too. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, don't you see at one point Barbosa drinking is going through him? Oh, that was when he was scaring um, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth. Yep. Yes. 
Yeah. Yep, he yeah, slams the door, drinks it, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, hey, speaking of Barbosa, right? Piracy, it's so vicious and cutthroat. Everybody on the ship, they're all down with killing innocent people, stealing, robbing, burning ships, burning towns and stuff. How do you think a captain holds on to power in a, on a pirate ship with all these ruthless guys? I think it just it really has to come with fear. You know, it other than that, other than like him literally killing you. I mean, we could see that's how Jack Sparrow lost the Black Pearl from the beginning was because he was captain, had his crew, and they mutinied him. And two, you know, two years of being captain, and he was not captain anymore. So, and he, you know, I don't think Pat or uh, uh, Jack Sparrow is a ruthless type of pirate. He's a survivor. He's definitely one. He's conniving, all that stuff. But he's not like a murderous one. And so you have to be hard nosed. And like, if somebody crosses you, you kill him. And that's the way you keep everybody in line. Yeah, I got you right there. Like, uh, on his current crew, like with Gibbs, which I really like Gibbs, the character of Gibbs, a lot, really funny guy. Um, uh, like, you know, he's his first mate or whatever. I think on a crew like that, with a guy like Gibbs, Captain Jack Sparrow can be, you know, the captain for quite a while. But you're right, on the other ship where Barbosa is in charge of it, he needs to be more ruthless than the people that he's leading. He probably has to be generous. I mean, you got to be giving your pirate stuff to get them to continue with you. You probably have to be delivering the goods. You have to successfully be um, ca- uh, capturing other ships and capturing ports and stuff. But yeah, you have to be just as ruthless. And if you want your guys to go out there and do some killing, you got to be willing to do killing as well, man. That's, that's why I could never be... N- n- never a pirate nor a pirate captain i don't have that in me i don't know if i could follow somebody that would kill me at the drop of a hat yeah i just i know i can't yeah i absolutely can't do that especially you know if somebody just makes a mistake and you see other movies i can't think of anything specifically well austin powers with evil dr evil you know he's just dropping guys in in uh, pits of fire there you go. It's like you can kill. You would kill me at any at any chance. I would either get away from you or I'll kill you myself. So I don't have that. At least I have a fighting chance. I'm not just going to take a bullet in the head because you just don't like me. Totally, totally, man. I agree with you. There. I could never be a henchman. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and not only that, not only can your boss kill you, but the but the good guy that's fighting against your boss is going to kill you at some point. Run you over with a um uh, what did he run over that guy with in the movie? Oh, it was a steamroller. Steam <laughs> yes, steamroller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the movie, I'm as the movie progresses, it I do, and I've said this before. I like movies that go from like location to location to location. It feels like it's a longer or not not longer movie. That's not the best way to say it, but it feels like it's a, it has more depth to it as opposed to just like maybe three different scenes or three different areas. Like where it's kind of tight like um oh my goodness i don't know if you watch it but there was this ryan reynolds movie where he was buried in a coffin for um you know until he died do you remember that movie i heard about it never saw it yeah that was the longest one hour movie i've ever seen like it was boring as anything because he's just literally all you see him is in a box and that's it an occasional cutaway to like a history thing, but it was basically the movie company saying, let's pay Ryan Reynolds like $5 million or $10 million or something like that and have no money go to budget and just record him in a box and get a movie as cheap as we can because we got to make money. And that's how it was. It was horrible. And so because there was nothing like the story 
there was a little bit of a story, but there, I mean, it was it was pathetic. But it was just in one location. I really like how this one went from location to location. It just felt like it, it was progressing and moving every single like every five minutes. Like it just kept moving and growing and building as the story went along. Ah, oh, totally, man. And you're right about that. Uh, directors or producers purposely use movies like Saw. They did that purposely in one room to save on the budget, you know, and they can spend their money just on the actor like Carrie Elwes, you know. And so I agree with you. I like movies that move around from place to place. And like you said, it it, it bloats that budget, but then it makes it a more enjoyable movie because you as the audience doesn't get bored seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I I like how in this movie um it really it, it gets kind of it's almost well-rounded you know they start with um uh at with, at with elizabeth and you know where she lives and then it ends there as well it goes full circle back to there where um jack sparrow is about to be um you know uh hanged or was it hung i think yes yeah like I, it was really cool seeing that well like full circle coming back to where they are and then he finally escapes yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, you like how movies go from place to place. What is your favorite set piece from the movie? Not necessarily your favorite scene, but what was the coolest environment that they were in in this one? Oh, I I really liked there's I guess it's almost two parts like the initial setting where it was. I don't know. It was supposed to be like the 1500s or 1600s or something like that. Um the beginning where they're in that city, the port city. I think that is and where the um, Barbosa and his men come and attack like that. I, I thought that was all really, really cool. But what I think I like the most is the Aztec gold treasure room. I really, really like that. I thought that whole scene, all, all those scenes where they're inside there and you see the light coming down in the caves and everything. I, I like that a lot. What about you? Yeah, that was my favorite as well. I really like the scenes um, when you're on Barbosa's ship, when you're actually on it, and it just it just looks good. I mean, they they spared no expense. They really did on the pearl, on all those different scenes, on that first town, like you said, Port Royal. I mean, everything looked period. It looked authentic. They did a killer job. But I agree with you. Down in that cave, number one uh, set piece. Yeah, yeah, and. What did you think about having, I guess, two, uh, one, one bad guy, which is Barbosa, but then you also have another antagonist, which is, um, Commodore Lorrington. Is that what his name was? I think Norrington. Nor, Norrington. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that having like you're, you're, you have a rock in a hard place. Like it's, it's like you're, you're, you're almost trapped and they're trying to get past every single step of the way. I like having that. Totally, man. It's great. And and then they have two different motivations as well. It's not just like two different henchmen or a bad guy and a henchman, but one is technically or uh, whatever on the good side because they're part of the British Navy. The other one is a straight up pirate. Um, and like you said, it's cool having those two different opposing forces, a rock and a hard place. I've actually never thought of that. That's a good um, uh, pickup on your part, you know? Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the from beginning to end, the story was really, really good, and the acting was really good. I also really like how, like you said, the the CG, everything about this movie, they did a really, really good job. And I, I do like you said, with them being on Barbosa's ship, I thought that was really, really fun seeing the ship kind of go back and forth between torn sails to full sails. Everything about it, I mean, it's just a totally different take on every single pirate movie you probably have ever seen or even thought of. I thought that was terrific. Oh, it it was terrific, 100%. So, you had just mentioned the CG on the pirates, and it reminded me of when I was watching the behind-the-scenes stuff on The Lord of the Rings, I learned that in Part 3, which was The Return of the King, you know how they have those uh, ghost, uh, that ghost army that Aragorn went and 
and yeah. you know convinced to help him, right? Well, they were in the middle of trying to figure out how to make them look right, and then all of a sudden, this movie came out in theaters. The guys, the CG guys, the directors, everybody went to go see it, and they go, oh my gosh, that's basically what we want to do. So Weta Workshop, the guys who were doing all the CG and everything, they contacted their movie company, which is probably ILM for this one, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, Industrial Light and Magic probably contacted, or they did contact them and then figured out how to do it. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why they were able to make their ghosts look so good in Return of the King because they learned how to do it right from this crew. Yeah, and this crew did a phenomenal job. Yep, yep. This whole, yeah, through everything. Um, as I was watching the part where they're going in to take out um, Elizabeth, or take Elizabeth, or actually they're just going after the coin, um, what did you think about as they, you know, all the bad guys, not Barbosa, but you had all of his henchmen, all the pirates, going in there and trying to steal just the um, uh, coin? They were, like, destroying everything. Like, what's what's the plan with that? And I kind of have an answer, but I wanted to see what you thought. You mean in the very beginning when they went to Port yes. Royal? Yes. Yeah, I think they were just doing their pirating thing, right? They If they go in there and... Like, you have a whole crew of 30 pirates or whatever. You need three guys to go get that coin. The other 27, what are they going to do? Just sit on the ship? No, no, you're going to go in there, create a distraction so that they can go to the governor's house, which they probably didn't know was the governor's house at the time, and try to get the coin. Yeah. And along with that, I realize what they're doing because as they go to their Aztec gold treasure room or, you know, the the cave, they have a whole ton of other treasure there because everywhere they go, they plunder because they feel that eventually we're going to get all these coins back and we'll be back to normal. Then we have all this treasure now that we'll be able to spend once we're back into, you know, being alive. Totally. I, I like that. Yeah, you're right. So they were just doing their pirate thing, still collecting treasure while they were doing something, you know, killing two birds with one stone. In that essence. Yeah. Um, how would it feel? I, I, I thought about this the other day. It would be an incredibly terrible, um, frustrating, uh, uh, just a boring life if you really could not touch or taste, not touch, but if you can't feel or taste or even smell anything, you know? Yeah, having no senses whatsoever other than seeing and hearing. Like every other sense, like I, I think that would be actually really, really rough, especially um, taste. Like taste is fantastic. You know, I, I love to eat and it's just that would be a huge bummer if everything turns to ash in your mouth. I'm, but yeah, you can see how they are just dying to get that. You know, they're going to live forever, apparently, because they're already dead, um, uh, theoretically. But now they want to be able to have those feelings back, which is rather interesting because I think they were like that for like, what, eight years or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And I, I, you know, I would really feel that living forever is not worth it if you can't uh, smell, feel or taste anything. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not worth living. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at the, I guess, getting towards the end, when they are trying to put all of the coins back, and they finally put a coin back, but then you have Jack Sparrow being the clever Jack Sparrow that he is, he knows that things are going to go south and he needs to not have to die or not, not be capable of dying. So he steals a coin. So he becomes like them. Did you see that coming? No, I didn't see it coming at the time. Nope. No, neither did I. I mean, obviously when you see him in the palm, the coin and, and you're like, Oh, Okay, I know what's going to happen now. He's actually cursed now, but I never would have thought of doing something like that. But that's a very, very clever way because all he literally needs to do is just put it back and he's good. Um, As long as everybody else puts it back, nobody else takes any. But I thought that was really, really clever. Oh, for sure it was, man. And one of the things about, you know, Jack Sparrow is that everybody underestimates him. And it's kind of weird how 
everybody underestimates him, but he's obviously always one step ahead of everybody, you know? So it's a pretty good thing. It's a pretty good air of like um, buffoonery that he kind of puts off, you know, with the way he speaks really quickly and says like, like really weird things that people have a hard time following. And he seems to be kind of unruly and, and just, um, you know, off the cuff making poor decisions seems to be that way. But in the end, he always seems to have a plan. And that's one of the things I like about Jack Sparrow. He welcomes everybody, um, looking down on him. Um, uh, what's the underestimating him, you know, and he gets off on that, I think. Yeah, Norrington said that's the worst pirate I've ever seen, and his know. You know, his second in, in command says that's the best pirate I've ever seen. And I do like, and you're absolutely right. I do like how um, he's very not want to say methodical. It's not the right word. He's he's planned out. Like he has an idea of where he wants to go. He's always trying to figure out a way to get what he wants. I mean, that's uh, the in the end. Being a pirate, he's always trying to get what he wants, and he's planned out, which is really good. I like how the majority of the time. It's planned out, like the things that he kind of does or stumbles into, it's planned out. But I also, because I would, I just, I get tired of movies where somebody just keeps stumbling backwards into the right thing and just always happens. And I like this movie had a combination of both where things like he didn't expect to happen, like when he's hanging on a chain and spinning around, it's like, oh, hey, that, that worked out fine. And then he's able to move on. I like how there was a good mix between the two. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. They, and uh, another good thing, you know, the mix between the two, this movie does it perfectly. Awesome action with really funny comedy scenes, you know, cool one-liners, characters doing cool stuff. You got some really funny characters, just intrinsically funny. The fat pirate with the skinny pirate and then Jack Sparrow doing all of his stuff, confusing everybody. It's another interesting thing with all that sword play and then also ships and cannon battles as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think in all, this was a really, really good movie. Now, before we go on to two and three, we're not, we're going to go to two and three, but do you think that two and three stack up to one, you know, just after watching this one, would two and three stack up or is one by far like, does that one stand out above all of them? This one stands out. It's it's the first one in the series. It introduces you, all, you to all the characters. Out of the three, I would have to say this is my favorite. Yeah, I would say that too. Um, now, it's it's like you said, leads up to two and three. But after we do the third one, then we'll ask that same question at the end of the three. You know, hey, do we think still think that one stacks up? And what about two and three? And how do they kind of play out at the end? I do really like how um, in this movie, nothing feels comic like not like comic-y, like comedian, but like a comic book. Nothing felt like a comic book. It felt like an actual movie and a story where I do remember a little bit in two and three where a couple times it felt like a comic book. Like a couple things just felt a little more, um, not childish. A little too other. outlandish or um, no, too fantastical? I just the visual, how it visually mm. is. Um, I'll, maybe after we, you know, two and three, I'll be able to explain it a little better once I see it. I just remember one felt more like a, like a, an actual movie that was telling a story of real life, even though there was obviously dead people walking around, but it didn't feel like a comic book. Whereas, like, uh, oh, so think about Batman. Batman uh, with Michael Keaton didn't feel like a comic book, but Batman with uh, Val Kilmer felt like a comic book. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I agree with you there. And I'd have to think about, I'd have to really think about parts two and three, what you're, what you're thinking feel comic booky. But uh, there's, there, I, yeah, there probably are scenes like that for sure. Yeah. And I don't remember a lot. I just remember a couple of times. I was like, uh, I think it was in part three more so that I was like, oh, I just felt a little more comic-y. But, uh, yeah. but anyways, yeah, I, I think this movie was, was terrific. So what is the grade that you would give this movie? 
Oh, I give it an A for sure. Highly recommended if you're a fan of action or comedy. Uh, if if you like really cool characters and stuff, it's 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 a must see for most people. I think. Absolutely, it's definitely an A. It has comedy, has action, it has uh, suspense. I mean, it really has everything that you're going to want to watch. Maybe even slight in. horror aspects too, because it scared your kids like it did. You know? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's got the love between Elizabeth and William. I mean, everything wrapped up in one story. They did a really hit. I think they hit a home run. So I definitely give it an A. But what about your prop? What is the prop that you would want to have? Uh, for me, it was it was kind of a no brainer. It's one of the pieces of eight. The pieces of eight. Remind yeah, the, me one of the is. gold pieces, the cursed gold pieces. Oh, got it. Okay, I, was, I didn't understand what you mean. Okay. That's what they were called, right? Pieces of eight. Oh, probably. I don't recall it. Okay. But maybe. <laughs> okay. I, I, I would. Call, I've been calling the Aztec gold. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Probably. Okay. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good call. That's yeah, that's definitely iconic because when you see it hold them holding it in their hands, like each person who has a hand, you can absolutely tell. Hey, that does look like an Aztec cult very easily. Mm-hmm. So, what about mine? You? Would be the. I'm just joking saying this, but uh, the uh, wood eyeball, his wood eyeball <laughs> that rolls around. I take that. Uh, no, yep, I'm just yep. kidding. Um, you know what? I was actually thinking the same thing. The Aztec gold, you can, because I was thinking about the only other thing would be the compass. The, uh, the, because other things are like the black pearls too huge and all that good stuff. Um, but the compass or a piece of gold, more than likely, because I remember, if I remember correctly, the compass, it might be in another show or not, sorry, two or three, I think. I think Jack keeps it with him. And then, the gold is not in the other two and three. So I want something just from this movie. So I would probably take one of the Aztec gold. Exactly. Yeah. My, my first thought before the gold was actually Norrington's sword. The one that will had uh, actually, you know, made the, that one's nice. He made it and gave it. So, cause that was pretty nice looking. Now I can't recall it actually being used in the movie. I don't recall Norrington fighting at all. Um, did he fight in the movie? Maybe at the end versus the other pirates, huh? Yes, he, I believe he did, if I remember okay. correctly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. maybe he fought there, but there was just a nice looking sword. And just the whole idea that Will had, you know, Will Turner made the sword, Norrington got the sword, and then he co- commented on the beauty of the sword and how the, the maker would take care of uh, everything else he holds dear, whatever he said in the end of the movie. I think that would be a pretty good souvenir as well. I I agree. You know what? I take that back. I'm going to take the sword. I could also, <laughs> okay. also use the sword to, to defend my family. So I'll take yep. the sword. Sweet, man. You just got to sharpen it. You know, I guarantee those movie props aren't too sharp at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I guess you could spank a few butts with it, right? You sure can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When your kids get out of line, do you want me to take down Norrington's sword? That's what you say. <laughs> I think it's time for Norrington's sword. <laughs> Yep, yep. So let's get to some lessons learned right here. What is your first? My first lesson is that even though it's sad, rum can make a huge bonfire and save you. So you want to make on a clear day, obviously not when it's raining or something, if you're trapped on an island or in the mountains, or if you're basically trapped, just build as big of a bonfire as you can to save yourself. Makes sense, man. Out in the ocean, I mean, you can only see what's on the horizon, which I don't know. How far is the horizon? Like, is it 15, 20 miles that you can actually see? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know either, but it makes sense. Gigantic cloud, black smoke cloud like that up in the sky. That rum is burning. That's super sweet rum. You don't want to waste it, but your life is more, pre- more precious than the rum, you know? Oh, absolutely. Especially in a 
bright blue sunny day on the ocean. I mean, you're going to see that for a very, very long way. And so, yes, that was brilliant from Elizabeth's point of view to get him drunk so she could then burn everything. Yep, yep. Smart, smart head on those shoulders there. So let's see, my first lesson is everyone has a price. And I really don't think that everyone does, but most people probably do have a price. And in the very beginning, Sparrow gave that Port Authority guy three shillings to not write his name down. I mean, if that's how easy it is for a pirate to get beyond or to get into a port, um, yeah, everyone has a price. You just got to find their price, you know? How would you do that? How would you find the price? You just attempt. Well, you just got to offer three shillings, and they say no. no then you go four. <laughs> then no, we go five. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and uh, bringing quickly back to that, where Jack Sparrow's going into the port on a sinking boat. That is just a brilliant way to introduce a captain. You know, a captain of a pirate ship. His boat is his little dinky boat is sinking, and you know he kind of gets off right onto the dock and. I, I thought that was a really fun way to introduce him. I thought so too. And I think, you know how um, uh, the way Captain Jack Sparrow does stuff, he's fine if people underestimate him. I think they purposely did that for the audience to kind of underestimate this captain and to see where he can go from here, you know, by making him look like a foolish captain right from the start, a kind of down and out on his luck or maybe a bad decision-making captain. I think it set all set all of us up to watch this captain grow and to make really cool decisions, you know, throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So my second lesson, it has to, and I don't have it fully fleshed out well, but basically, because, and the reason why I say that is because I don't know if it's going to apply very well, um, but you don't want to have a mutiny if you're a captain. So whatever you need to do to make sure that your cruise is in board, you know, where you kill a guy every once a week, Ed, just to make sure that they know that you're boss or what, you know, you make sure that they get a part of the spoils or whatever it might be, but figure out how to make sure people don't mutiny, mutiny you. Is that his right? Mutiny? There uh-huh. you go. Mutinize. <laughs> Mutinize. Make sure people don't mutiny in you. And by doing that, you're, you know, as you're filling out your crew, you know, if you need to make sure that they're afraid of you, then do that. If it's making sure that they're, you know, fat and happy, then do that. But, you know, if you lose your ship, you're going to get stranded on an island. Yep. True that. And I think maybe for, you know, the real life, the nowadays life, I guess it's basically make sure your team is happy. You know, if you're a manager at work, a boss at work, I mean, if your people are happy underneath you, you treat them well with respect. Um, you won't face that mutiny. You won't be getting a lot of HR complaints. You're going to be a boss for a long time in a successful team, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Cool. So my second lesson is being weighted on hand and foot makes you weak. Now, in the movie, Elizabeth Swan can definitely handle herself, but if you just imagine in real life, right? You're going through life and you have somebody cooking all your meals, cleaning your clothes, getting you dressed in the morning, making your bed. All you have to do is wake up, go down and eat breakfast, talk to Commodore Norrington, go and eat lunch, talk to somebody else. You know what I mean? If if, if everyone's doing something for you, it's going to make you weak. And that's one of the reasons why we try to get our kids. It seems like every day or every week we're making them do more and more things, make them more self-reliant, more capable of taking care of stuff around the house, you know? Absolutely. And that's a, a great thing. In fact, uh, my wife and I, or Melissa and I, my wife and I, we don't do any more work around the house. The kids literally do all the work from beginning to end, top to bottom. Now, if there's something that's they miss, like obviously we'll go back and make sure like, hey, you guys missed this. You got to do this. But like everything from the dishes to the floors, um, uh, dusting or putting away 
what basically any cleaning, wet washing windows, all that stuff. They do every bit of that. My point of view is I did that for you while you were growing up. Now this is your, this is a, there's a privilege to be in this family. You don't get an allowance. This is just your chores. This is what you have to do. And so what I do is I, I make them do all that work. And then, you know, we go on trips like in uh, about a week, uh, or sorry, actually Monday. So this is what from recording now, four days from now, we're going to be flying to the East coast and going traveling on vacation for four weeks and going from Florida all the way up to Washington, DC history lessons and all that good stuff. But yeah, so that's something that absolutely, you don't want to get weak. You absolutely want to be strong and you want to be self-reliant. And yeah, I think it's a great, great lesson making sure that your kids know how to take care of themselves because they're not going to be under your roof forever. So you're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. I agree with you and you agree with me. So it's a nice circle we got going on here. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of one of my favorite lines in Batman. What's the third Batman? What was that called? We had Bane in it. Oh, um, uh, Batman V Bane. Uh, it wasn't Dong of justice. I can't remember the name. (laughs) I can't, uh, the dark Dark Knight returns. Returns. Yeah. So I really love, and it brought you, what your recent lesson, the number two just brought me back when Bane said to Batman after he started fighting him, he goes, Oh, victory has defeated you. Oh yeah. I was like, absolutely. Like he's doesn't have to you know, fight anymore. He doesn't have to keep strong. He doesn't have anybody coming after him. So he got lazy. He got complacent. He got weak. And now he can't fight. And so Bane just easily whoops up on him. So yeah, you don't want to get soft. You always want to be strong. Man, that is a really good quote. Victory has defeated you. Absolutely. When I heard that, I was like, that's brilliant. So yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, for my third one, I really don't have a third one. There, I know there's one in there, but I was just enjoying watching the movie just in general. So I didn't really catch a third one, but there, I, I know there's tons of in there. Oh, without a doubt there are. And my third one is show them what you want them to see. And Captain Jack Sparrow is a master at this, right? He makes them un- makes everybody underestimate him. And he really puts this into play when he is trying to steal uh, you know, the slower ship and they get the other ship. I think it was called the Interceptor. They prepare it, the fastest ship in the fleet, right, to go over there. And then, you know, they swoop in. Basically, you know, every, everyone thinks he's a buffoon, but he's always one step ahead. And that's the scene earlier where you said, man, that's the greatest pirate I've ever seen because he made them see what they wanted to see. I think that is brilliant. Yeah, this, um, um, leverage number one is something that jack sparrow talked about all a lot in the movie which is great but then you're absolutely right where you you misdirection you make them think one thing and you go the the other very very good i i think it was fantastic and he wanted the faster ship didn't want the bigger ship wanted the faster one and they got it ready for him so he was completely you know completely brilliant in planning like eight steps ahead from everybody else Totally, man. Yep, yep. That's one of the reasons why that's one of my favorite scenes. But speaking of favorite scene, what is your favorite scene? I love the scene, and it's most specific. I mean, the whole movie is great. We know I gave it an A as well. Um, But I really, like, what grabbed me was when Barbosa says, all right, gents, go take a walk. And they walk underneath the, um, on the land, or sorry, on the land, underneath the ocean, on the ground, um, and just walking towards the boat to climb up it rather than on the boats. I thought that was awesome. So I really love that whole scene from there to the end. I like that one. The visuals as well going under the, as soon as they hit the moonlight, they turn into their uh, uh, skeletal forms again. 
Yep, exactly. Super awesome. Yeah, well, my favorite scene is kind of along the same lines. Same lines as that the cursed pirate reveal scene. The they had like crazy pounding music. The camera's swinging around. Elizabeth Swan is getting pushed around, flying around the ship. You know, awesome moonlight, seeing their skeletal shapes. Um, they're throwing her up in the air. The music's pounding. Like I said, just love that scene. And Barbos, Barbosa is super menacing during that scene as well when he pops open the wine and is drinking it down his gullet. Cool stuff. Yes, that was a great, great scene. That really gets your heart pumping. I think that was like, uh, that might have been the time where the kids got a little more scared than other ones. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was really neat. Yeah, man, I love that scene. And my Monday morning quarterback, it was a super simple one, came right in the beginning, right? It's learn to swim. So those two funny um, guys, and we're going to see them throughout the throughout the series. You know, those two Queen's Navy guys end up becoming pirates and stuff later on. But like you're part of Ma- Her Majesty's Royal Navy. You're going to be in ships or on ships for the rest of your life. What kind of idiot does not learn to swim when they're basically uh, attached to the water forever? You're in the Navy. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, that's part of the, that. That's all you're not going to be on the land at all. So yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. What about you? What's your Monday morning quarterback? My Monday morning quarterback is they should just put a bullet in it. Like anytime they capture somebody, stop talking, just put a bullet. You know, you're going to kill them anyways. Just put a bullet in them. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who in specific or who specifically are you talking about? Uh, uh, definitely Jack Sparrow. Like why yeah. all the pomp and circumstance, like just, just get it over with, just put it, put an arrow or, you know, sword through him. Just do it. Yep. I agree with you there. I mean, we would have lost the best character in the whole franchise, but yes, you're right. Absolutely. But Hey, then the, uh, Commodore Lorington would have this, you know, he wouldn't have to be, we know in part two, he eventually, you know, falls on his luck and he's not doing very well. So he'd be back where, you know, being Commodore or Lord by the time the uh, second movie rolls around. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Um, let's see, uh, before we end this puppy, anything else that, uh, we failed to discuss? No, I think we covered the ground there. Cool beans, man. Well, um, of course, we had talked about it in the last movie. We're doing the entire trilogy. So for everyone listening, next week we're going to cover Dead Man's Chest, part two in the Pirates series. Hey, speaking of the Pirates, um, or the area that they're in, I always, growing up, I would always call it Caribbean. No, I would always call it Caribbean. But then people started talking about this movie and they used the term Caribbean. What do you say? I always thought as Pirates of the Caribbean, like whenever we went to the, um, with our mom and we went to Disneyland and she would always say, we're going to go to the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's how I've always said it. Pirates of the Caribbean, not Caribbean. I've never said Caribbean. It's always Caribbean. Oh, for some reason for me, Caribbean is in my head. Oh, interesting. Even though mom always said that you're right about that, huh? Yeah. And so I learned it from like, um, I don't know, cruise ship ads or something. Maybe they call it Caribbean. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but that that was my first, uh, I guess, ever hearing Caribbean. It's Caribbean, yeah. Gotcha, cool beans. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate those ears. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. And of course, next week we're talking about Dead Man's Chest, but if you have anything in regards to the Curse of the Black Pearl that you want to share with with us, maybe some lessons that you learned, or um, your own Monday morning quarterback, just go to the show notes page, watchandlearnpodcast.com slash pod 61, and leave a comment there. Alrighty then, my name was Sky. And I'm Dusty. And we will return next week with Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. Mm-hmm.